Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Are you a mover and a shaker or are you Mr. Nobody Special? It doesn't matter if you're up and coming or down and out, God will hold all people accountable. Ouch, really? There were two Old Testament cities not wealthy or notable that felt quite comfortable in their insignificance. They didn't need to worry about being overthrown, they thought. But what happened when the people of these two cities made the mistake of not entrusting their lives to God? Hmm. Let's find out and see what it means for us as we join Dr. Corbett tonight for Where Have All the People Gone? Let me remind you of what we've seen so far over these last few messages that I've done in the book of Jeremiah. It can be divided into 10 sections and each of these sections start with the letter C. We've read in Jeremiah chapter 1, before I knew you, Uh, Sorry, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I called you. And so from the very beginning, we see the call of Jeremiah. He was called, and we see how that call was initially not welcomed. He did not want to be called. He didn't want that. And how he struggled with that. And so as Jeremiah is battling with this call... That is exactly what happens. He battles and he complains. And we see at one point Jeremiah tries to quit. And he says, I don't want to do this anymore. And so there's a whole section there where he's very negative, very discouraged, very despondent. Because after all, he probably had the picture of success that most of us have. That if God calls us to do something, you've got a reasonable presumption that he's probably going to also bring with it a measure of success and fruitfulness. But that didn't happen. And he was bitterly complaining. We see then that that Jeremiah gets to this point where he realises, and the word of the Lord is on him, to say, this people will never repent. But some will. And from that some, I will establish a new covenant. A new covenant. And so we see this whole section where Jeremiah begins to talk about Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 23 calls Jesus the righteous branch. And Israel has always been pictured as a tree. And the picture of Israel as a tree is one where Ezekiel picks it up as well in Ezekiel 16. And he says, Israel is like a a, a twig that an eagle swooped down and collected and planted in the ground and it grew and it just continued to grow. And it's a picture of how God took uh, Abraham and from Abraham, his 12 sons, and they, they grew into a small nation. And then from there, King David filled out the tree and Solomon was the glory days of Israel. But then after Solomon, it, it was divided. The nation was divided and that tree was cut in half. And then by the time what was left of the the tribe of Judah, which was the people where Solomon was, we we come to this present day when they're just about completely to be cut off. So if you can imagine this tree, it's now almost cut off to the stump. And Isaiah the prophet saw this, foresaw this, and he says in Isaiah 11 verse 1, out of the stump shall shoot a shoot and that shoot will grow into a tree and 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 jesus is called the shoot or the root out of the stump of jesse so israel's always been pictured as a as a kind of a tree and here we see paul the apostle in romans 9 10 11 picks it up and says if you are in christ that shoot you're now part of the tree 
But here, Jeremiah in this section of his book is talking about this new covenant, the covenant with Christ that was coming. But here's the thing. Although not everyone was going to repent and turn to God, Jeremiah continues to plead with the people. And there's a whole section there where he's crying out and he's known as the weeping prophet. He wasn't just trying to be successful as a prophet. He was actually not interested in what you thought of whether he preached good or prophesied good. He actually wanted you to repent. He wanted you to come into a relationship with God. And at times, he says, his eyes were like waterfalls. He was speaking to people and pleading in tears for people to repent. And so he cries and he cries and he cries. And that's why he's known as the weeping prophet. And at about this time, Nebuchadnezzar comes in initially and takes away a bunch of people. And one of the people that, that were taken away was someone who would have been just a little bit younger than Jeremiah, who watched him, almost certainly watched him on the streets of Jerusalem and in the temple because he himself was about to be of age to become a priest. His name was Ezekiel. And this is Jeremiah's colleague, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel refers to Jeremiah and Ezekiel is also buttressing Jeremiah's prophecies while he himself is taken away to Babylon. And so far from Jeremiah thinking no one's listening, there actually was someone listening. Ezekiel at least was listening. And while all this was happening and while they thought, well, Nebuchadnezzar's come in and done some damage to our city, at least that's it now. At least it's over. Jeremiah says, it's not over. You have to turn to God. You must repent. If you don't, Nebuchadnezzar's going to come back. And whatever damage you think he's done up to this point, it's going to be nothing compared to the damage that he actually is going to inflict. And the damage will be the total destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Its walls will be destroyed. Its temple will be taken apart brick by brick. And one of the reasons the book of Ezekiel is so important to understand is that if you want to understand the New Testament, especially when Jesus says things like this, see this temple, not one, as he's standing on the Mount of Olives looking over the valley, there's the temple, he says, see that temple? Not one of those blocks will be left standing upon another. And, and those blocks were, in old language, 18 feet long, 6 foot high, 6 foot deep, and one of the walls of the temple was 100 metres high. And Jesus says not one of these blocks will be left standing upon another. And if you don't understand the book of Jeremiah, you're going to think, I have no idea what he's talking about. But Jesus is saying that happened once before, didn't it? And the disciples knew that it happened once before. And Jesus, just as Jeremiah said, the Lord is coming to you. That expression coming, we think it means return or appearing or whatever, but it actually means coming in judgment. And that's why the disciples in Matthew 24, when Jesus said that about the temple, they said, when will you come? And they couldn't possibly be meaning return because he hadn't gone. And even though he told them about 12 times that he was going to his father, they never got it. They just didn't get it. So by understanding Jeremiah, we understand something of the language of Christ as well. And so we see that Jerusalem was about to undergo a major calamity. And this section of the book of Jeremiah is tear-stained. Jeremiah is heartbroken over this. And there's another young... It's, it's, I, I find this compatriot of Jeremiah to be one of the most encouraging men in Scripture. 
he would have, if, if Ezekiel was about 16 while Jeremiah was 26, this young boy would have been about 6 while Jeremiah was perhaps about 26. And as a young, it just strikes me that here a young boy, 6 years of age, can have a heart for God. And you know what? I've seen that in this church. I've seen 6-year-olds with a heart for God. And this young boy, his name was Daniel, and he was also taken away to Babylon. And he, in his book, quotes the prophet Daniel. He took with him, presumably, scrolls of, Dan- of Jeremiah's prophecy. And there's a section here where we can look at the book of Daniel as it slots into the time frame of Jeremiah. And we can see that, that Daniel is living out the very things that Jeremiah was pleading with the young men of the city to take to heart. That is, live uprightly. Don't go the way of the world. Don't get sucked into the crowd. Make God your audience and make him the one you're going to live for. And Daniel got it. And one of the first things that would have happened to Daniel when he arrived in Babylon, probably by this stage around about the age of 15 or 16, is that he would have been castrated made into a eunuch because he was going to serve in the king's palace. And Daniel is a preeminent man, but he was inspired by Jeremiah. And I think it takes one person to stand up in the midst of the crowd. One person to stand up and do the right thing that can inspire an entire generation. So that section, Daniel's, uh, Jeremiah's compatriot, Daniel, and this section... Jeremiah's compassion. And when Jerusalem is destroyed and there's a few left in the city and we have those people concerned for their lives, wondering, what should we do, Jeremiah? Should we stay here, fearful that Nebuchadnezzar might come back in and destroy them? What should we do? Jeremiah says, remain. Remain in this city and you'll be safe. So what do they do? They don't remain. And Jeremiah says, whatever you do, don't go down to Egypt, a type of the world. So what do they do? They go down to Egypt. And here they are now in Egypt at a time when everything, everything that Jeremiah has said would happen to Jerusalem has happened. And this section that we're in now is Jeremiah's credibility. He's got tremendous credibility. After this section, we're going to see in the last three chapters of the book of Jeremiah that he retells his whole story. And this is his case. And we'll get to that after this section. We're looking from verse 28 of Daniel, oh sorry, Jeremiah 49. And I've called this section, Where Have All the People Gone? Where Have All the People Gone? If you read with me from verse 28. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down. So this is like an editor's heading. This is to say, you know how these people were destroyed? Let me tell you about that. So that's kind of what that verse is about. So let me tell you about the people of Kedar and 
the King Hazor, who was presumably their leader. What's interesting is that in the, in the sections that we've been looking at in, in, from chapters uh, was it 47 through to chapter 49, we see that Jeremiah is prophesying to nations, and, and the last few nations that he's prophesied to and about are nations with beautiful cities, walled cities, cities that are incredibly prosperous and rich, cities that have an abundance of everything. Now, if you're an invading king, I can well understand why you'd want to invade a city like that. Take that city for your own, tax the people, uh, take their gold, whatever. I get that. And of all the countries that Jeremiah's been prophesying to from about chapter 46, while he's in Egypt, and it's in Egypt that he has said, you think you've come here, this is to his band of fellow Jews, you think you've come here to escape Nebuchadnezzar, when in fact it is in this place that he'll hunt you down and you too will be killed, which included Jeremiah himself. But as he's prophesying to these surrounding nations in his final weeks on earth, he has this prophecy, these five verses of prophecy, to this very strange group of people, the people of Kedar, the kingdoms of Hazor. They didn't have cities. They didn't have beautiful anything. They didn't have an abundance of much. They didn't even have buildings. They lived Intense because they were nomads. They went where there was pasture. They grazed their cattle wherever they could. And I can imagine that these people, while all this is going on in and around the Middle East, <laughs> probably felt like, well, it won't affect us because why would anyone want to invade us? We've got nothing. We haven't got any cities. We haven't got banks they can rob. We haven't got much apart from a few sheep and some cattle. We're safe. We're safe and we're secure. I can imagine that that's what they would have thought. Reading the next verse. Verse 29. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken. Their curtains and all their goods. Their camels shall be led away from them. And men shall cry to them, terror. On every side. Wow, what is... This was the prophecy that Jeremiah gave. He opens up and says, it's already been fulfilled, but let me tell you, this is the prophecy I gave about this people. And Nebuchadnezzar in this passage, we're going to see, is pictured as a type of... as a picture of death. Nebuchadnezzar is death. Here's these people, these nomadic people, not much, not wealthy, not particularly significant in any way, thinking, boy, this whole region is in turmoil. Egypt's being ransacked. The Philistines have been ransacked. The Edomites have been ransacked. The Moabites have been ransacked. Jerusalem's been destroyed. At least we're safe, because we haven't got much. And why would anyone bother with us? No one probably even knows we exist. <laughs> We're so insignificant. And here Jeremiah is almost picturing Nebuchadnezzar as being like the, what we might call in modern 
mythic language, the Grim Reaper, death himself. We read on in the next verse, Flee, wander far away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has made a plan against you and formed a purpose against you. So this is where they probably got this prophecy from Jeremiah going, what? Why would anyone bother with us? We're just minding our own business. We're out here in the desert. We're doing our thing. And what they were probably doing was worshipping idols, sacrificing their children to these idols, coming across perhaps towns or villages where they might enter in and kill and rape and do things. And, oh, but we're insignificant. We're, we're, we're nothing. And here the prophet is saying something else. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us feel like we're so insignificant we don't matter to God. We're so insignificant. What possibly, what, what injury could my sin, my rebellion, my lack of obedience, could, what possibly could that do to God? We're not just insignificant bags of molecules. You're not just meat from the top down. You're not just a bag of DNA and cells just kind of held together by skin. In the eyes of God, you are an image bearer. You bear his image. He made you to show the world what he himself is like. Everything you do bears on that. Verse 31, rise up and advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, says the Lord, that has no gates or bars, but dwells alone. Here's the next verse. The camels shall become plunder. Their herds of livestock are spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair. Now that might sound strange. But one of the things God said to his people, particularly the men, the hair that grows here, don't cut that. Because I want that, just to, I want that to flap in your eyes. I, and I want that to be a reminder that you and I are constantly in each other's sight. So, so you see, Orthodox Jews today, you'll see they, they still don't cut that hair. It goes right here and it just goes really long and they kind of twirl it up. And it's, me- it's meant to be, an, it's kind of meant to be that constant, oh, just hair. But it's meant to be God saying, come on, as much as you keep seeing that, I keep seeing you. As much as you keep seeing that, I want you to keep seeing me. And, and so it's a symbolic thing, and the God we worship is highly symbolic. And he said there are people who cut the corners of their hair. And really what's he saying? Hear the symbolism in it? There are people who live their lives without any regard for me, any regard at all. And I will bring their calamity from every side of them, declares the Lord. Hazor shall become a haunt of jackals, an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn there. So here's the thing. I'll look at the prophecies from about 46, and we see these amazing 
great nations, Philistine, Edom, Moabites, Midianites. And here's a bunch of nomads in the desert. What's it? And this is what we see. It's not just the high and mighty that capture God's attention. It's not just the, what we might call the up and coming. It's also the down and out. And this is what, what I've discovered. You can, and, and oftentimes, can I just say, for us as the Christian community, the church, we, we often focus on the down and out, and that's a good thing. We need to. Christ's heart is for the poor and for the underprivileged and for those who need justice. That's good. But I've discovered this. It's not just the down and out who need to know God. It's also the up and coming. I've met some amazingly upwardly mobile people who are spiritually bankrupt. So here's the thing. Every person who bears the image of God is in God's sights. He sees you. He knows you. And as I reflect on this and as I reflect on what Jeremiah said about the coming new covenant, and here he is mopping up, just wrapping up his book, I'm mindful of something that his senior prophet, the prophet Isaiah, said about what would happen when Jesus comes. And as Jeremiah has taken these surrounding nations, the, the down and outs and the up and coming, it reminded me of what Ezekiel said in chapter 40. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. So it doesn't matter whether you've reached the heights of success or whether you have struggled with the depths of depravity or lack. There is coming a day when God will bring that down and bring that up. And everyone will stand on a level playing field, so to speak, before God. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places are plain. Prophet Isaiah goes on and says this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then Isaiah, who is prophesying about John the Baptist, says this, A voice says, Cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And the problem that we've got today is we have such good health care that we, many, many people who would ordinarily have died centuries ago now live. And we almost, if you're in your 20s and 30s, can I just speak into your heart for a moment? You probably think you're going to live forever. But when you get to the age of someone like Jim, you realise... <laughs> ..there's more behind than there is in front. And it, and, but you know what? You don't have to reach a certain age to realise life is short. And as I bring this to a close, I want you to... Think about what the prophet is saying and what, and what John the Baptist 
announced to the people so that they got ready for Christ. And it's this. Your life is short. No matter how long you live, your life is but a breath. It's like cut flowers. The flower of the field. It won't last long. I was, I was reading something, an interview with Francis Chan, who's one of the best preachers in the world today. And Francis Chan was asked by an interviewer, why is it that every time you preach, you're so serious? Why is it every time you preach, not only are you so serious, you always warn people of hell and a lost eternity? And Francis Chan, who's not an old man, said this, I grew up in a home where I saw family members murdered in front of me. As I was someone growing up in my teens and 20s, all of my friends were murdered. When I became a pastor, at one point I was doing five funerals a day of people I knew every day of the week, five funerals a day, and most of them were younger than me. He said, you, you have year after year after year of that, and it changes your perspective on what a life is worth and how much any of us have got left on this planet. The people of Hazor and Qadar probably thought, we're safe. <laughs> Why is Jeremiah even bothering to prophesy about us? And here the prophet Isaiah talking of the coming day of Christ. When Christ came, that first Christmas, we read this, the grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on, us, on it. Surely people are grass. And this is the mistake that probably the people of Hazor and Kedar had made. They assumed they were safe, that God really wasn't interested in them. But he is. He sees you when no one else does. He knows you. It's the amazing grandness, greatness of God. And that thought can either be a tremendous comfort for you when you need comfort. Or if you're already unjustifiably comfortable, that thought can be very uncomfortable for you. That God sees you, knows you, and knows exactly where you're at and everything that's going on in your heart. Because quite frankly, there are some of us who probably would not want anyone else to know what we've been doing. But God already does. So when Jesus came to earth, and I mentioned that Nebuchadnezzar is a type of death, and you might think, well, what hope have we got? If we're all going to die and this is our fate, if this is the end, what hope have we got? But Jesus Christ came to not only give us life, John 10.10, but he came to conquer death. So that we who wonder why on earth are we here can wonder no more. We are here to get to know God because this life on earth is so short. It's only to prepare us for eternity. And I want you to think about this. If there was no pain, if there was no suffering in this life, if there was no challenges in this life, that all the virtues, Paul writing to Timothy says, physical exercise is of some benefit, 
But godliness in this life is of eternal benefit. Think of the godly virtues that come when you have to endure pain, suffering, adversity, challenges. Those virtues are not possible any other way apart from going through those things. And so when you think, why on earth am I going through this? It's because the God who loves you more than anyone else in the universe wants to prepare you and do it best for you for eternity. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, will you surrender to him? Paul writing says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are, in, are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who, uh, he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That is, everything is under Christ, including death. So if you're fearful of death, then I invite you, give your life to Christ. And I'm not saying that to people who I don't think are believers. I think there are people who are believers who may be fearful of death because you're holding back a bit. So what's our response? We are not so insignificant that God doesn't care about our heart or our sin. We will all be held accountable. More from Dr. Corbett next week, My Throne in Elam. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Where Have All the People Gone?, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com/findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.